bond I found dead in deep Coming through is all I ever want to do I fall in the steps of human beings and it's all on you Yeah. No, 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 not for the, for, the, for the calling. It's such a cool idea, but nobody can get this shit right, man. Every time anyone tries to do something like this, it's fucking dog shit. Like, the app is so bad. And I'm like, if this motherfucker, because I think it's, um, oh god, what's the Gawker guy, the guy who killed Gawker with Hulk Hogan, what the fuck is his name? Oh, uh, what is this? Is that Thiel? Is that Peter Thiel? Um, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, Peter, it's like Peter Thiel backed, right? And it's like, you would think that this motherfucker with all the money that he's got, that he would put the money into them actually building a functional app, but nobody does it. Nobody builds it to where the app is any good. They all focus on like all the superfluous bullshit instead of like, like actually making just a functioning app. Like that's the most important fucking part, but they just can't get it right. Like, I don't know. I've, 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 yeah, I've never actually used it, so like, yeah. I've just seen like the interface of it and how it works, but it's I've not seen even like just like the interface. The interface is bad. Don't get me wrong, and it's fucking ridiculous because if you try to just like pause it, it it will just eventually stall out, and then you have to go back into the app to start playing again. So you can't just pause it and then like leave your phone off and then go back and press play. Like no, you have to then go all the way back in. But then also like the call-ins are all difficult. Like everybody has to constantly remind people. Okay, you have to unmute yourself. You have to unmute yourself. So if if someone calls in. The, the host allows them to talk, but then they still have to unmute themselves as well. They're not automatically right. unmuted. And then the audio quality is dog shit. So now the new thing is, is that even if people know to unmute themselves, like four out of five calls is like, okay, your audio is really low. Talk as loud as you can so that so that I can hear you. Like you just continuously get, I'm just like, oh my fucking God, this thing, it's such dog shit. It's insane. Um, so yeah, that is my, uh, my rant on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess that was interesting for the podcast. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Quentin, we're back. <laughs> and uh, this week we are uh, who nicked Zach's phone? Who nicked Zach's mobile? Um, and uh, Quentin, it feels like it's been a month since we last recorded. It's been a week. I did an episode in between without you. I don't know if you. Heard I, did, about I, this. Did, I did. I did. I did listen. I did listen oh. to it. You like you found a you found a child to just yes. I did. I did. With. Dude, you know, people can say whatever they want about whoever they want, but you guys have to keep in mind. I did a podcast with Carl. I'm the only person who did a podcast. I was the first person who had Carl on their podcast. You know what I mean? Like this has yeah. always been the way that I am. You know, the way that I am Quentin, I don't fucking care. I'll have somebody, anybody on and talk to him. I don't mind. I'm not like, I like it. I think it's cool. Get new voices out there. Get people to try something new. Like, be, like it is, it is. do something different. <laughs> and I can talk to anybody for, uh, you know, 45 minutes to an hour or whatever, you know, Mason was a good kid. And you know what? I give him, oh, I, sure, I have to give Mason like some dap on the, on the shout out at the end of it. Like, Oh, what do you want to plug? Whatever. And he doesn't really plug anything except for like another creator who <laughs> had some difficulties recently, but he's giving them a shout out on the merit of their content. You know what I mean? I thought that was pretty cool. So yeah, I have to, I have to say, you know, whatever, like, and the opinions are what they are. And, and 
did a good job. Mason had had some issues. Obviously, it's it's difficult when you're first talking on a microphone and you're like trying to keep track of your thoughts. And I do it all the time. I brain fart and all this. I'm just at the point now where I'm comfortable enough to where when I forget or I don't know what's going on, I just say it. I just let everybody know I'm forgetting what I'm fucking thinking and I don't you know worry too much about it. But yeah, it 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 was uh it was pretty fun. But hey, thanks for listening. I'm ha- I'm happy you appreciated it. Um, no, I mean, it, was, it was it was good. Like I'm, I'm I'm familiar with them, and I'm glad that you got him got him on there, and that he maybe continued like maybe like journeys into podcasting and all that stuff more. Yeah. It's just jarring when you like you're like how long have you known me? You know, you've known me since I was like 19, so exactly. it's interesting to be to be 25 now and listen to someone on the podcast be like, "This is a child. Why is this yeah. child on the podcast?" <laughs> But like, hey. I, also, I also can't. I also can't say anything because I was like nineteen doing podcasts. So. Yeah, it's the, it the same thing. It's the same thing. At least you know. At least uh, <laughs> you had you had uh, people leading you along the way too, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. when, when you were just getting started. Um, and now look where you're at. And we got Joseph. Like we talked about it with Joseph. Like he does not doing podcasts, but the same thing. Starting out these kids getting moving forward on this stuff if you did listen then here's something i did want to uh talk to you about from that nakajima like Mm. any other situation is he not like totally set up to be a big time star right now he he's at that peak place that i've talked about many times in the past where like wrestlers actually become their best when they're like at a certain age they've got the certain talent and ability and all this and then they've got the attitude where they just don't give a fuck anymore they're not trying to prove anything to anybody anymore. They're not trying to fucking walk on eggshells to make anybody happy. And, I mean, when Becky Lynch had her blow up and people were calling her the man and saying she's the new Stone Cold Steve Austin and all this, does Nakajima not feel equally as cool as Becky Lynch did at that time? Nakajima, like, he is what Noah's, what, like, what Noah's equivalent to, like, you know, what Naito or Daisuke, or Daisuke Sasaki, like, feels like. And... Because he's been in, and because Noah can never just string together coherent booking for long, for long enough, or sustain interest for long enough, it doesn't really, it doesn't really go anywhere. Sadly, and I do think that Nakajima has limitations as a wrestler. But if we're talking about market marketability as a star, someone you can hit your wagon to as a star, yeah, at this stage in his career, for how long he's been in here, for how young he still is, he has the wrestling part down. He's he's really nailed the character part over the last four years or whatever. He's he's at the he's at that perfect intersection like you stated before, and it just sucks that it happens to be in a company where they don't make sense for for yeah. for ninety five percent of the time. And that Japan is the way that it is right now, where there's mm. there's not a spot for him in New Japan, and he's got you know possible politics there and issues from the past. And no DDT. one feels hot. Oh, yeah, and no one, and like no company feels hot in Japan anyway. It feels it feels like like granted, yeah. I haven't been like as into it as I have been in recent in recent years. Like this is like probably like the least Japanese wrestling I've ever watched since I've been uh, delving into other stuff. But it feels like the pand like the pandemic stuff and the and the, and the regulations are still like wearing heavy. On most on most promotions, even like Stardom, for where they were earlier in the year, aren't feeling the way that they felt. It, if if, like it just, it sucks to be hitting your stride in the middle of this down period for Japanese wrestling. 
Yeah, and like I said, it's not even just the stride, but it is also like the positioning and the really the chance that anything can happen. Like I said, there's not a place for him that makes sense in New Japan, plus he's possibly got heat there. Uh, the company that he's in obviously has issues with him, and the issues directly stem from the second biggest company in Japan being you know interconnected and him KOing their champion with a slap. So it's not like he can jump to, to DDT. He, Noah is not going to treat him properly. So it's kind of like, god damn, he's like blacklisted and, and really positioned to where the top you know two promotions don't make sense. I did think about it and I was like, I mean, normally I would say Nakajima Dragon Gate doesn't make any fucking sense, but ever since the Exodus and kind of the way that Dragon Gate is going, honestly, not the craziest thing. Because like if you think about something like Kai coming into Dragon Gate and winning the um the Dreamgate Championship, um yeah. Like and having a long run with that, like is Nakajima really that far off? Like not really. Like I could see them doing a similar thing with Nakajima right now, and it wouldn't be that crazy. I just don't think it will. It w- it's not likely. But in the past, it would, like, initially, I was thinking about it, and I was like, never in a thousand years. But then I was like, honestly, though, current Dragon Gate, maybe it's not as insane. Right? Am I am I wrong there? No, you're you're totally right. This Dragon Gate, right, right, especially right now, is a lot of blended styles for all the high octane really really slick intricate stuff that the people think of dragon gate 4 you have the you ha- like you have kai you have ata you have you have um god what the case you have case case Kuda, and i think that nakajima can fit in just fine with how dragon gate is currently constructed yeah, and not just not just how it's like, I guess like the talent that he could mesh with, but also the like that they never bring in an outsider and treat them that way. That they've got all their guys. Like yeah, since the Exodus and since everything happened, they're a little bit more open to to even something like outsiders coming in and having a big role. Um, on top of that, yeah, he could definitely fit in with some of the guys, even some of the younger guys. You got like uh, SB Kento, and those guys could work with him for sure. Um, so yeah. Um, and then the other one that I didn't think about until we were just talking right now, and maybe they've got the money, and I think he is a great fit there, but I don't know really where their politics lie. They seem very aligned with New Japan, but Gleet, I think if Gleet mm. really did want to make a run of it, Nakajima would be a guy to swing on. Yeah, he could. They could build him as their ace with the badass attitude that he has, and the fact that he mm. can work a legitimate enough style that he can do the shoot stuff. Like, they are kind of looking for someone to be a top star for them. And if they really want to break out, I mean, God, like, it would not be... That would honestly be the best fit. They would just yeah. have to really want to go with it. But, yeah, like, I, that could be the kind of charisma and, like, uh, you know... And you have him come in there. He does some shooty stuff talking shit about them. Basically how, you know, all the top guys in Noah and, and DDT are too soft. And that's why they had to get rid of him because he kept knocking everybody out by slapping him and now he had to come to somewhere where the real action is you know what i mean and that could actually get some actual fucking juice going sure yeah so i was just thinking about that and i was like hey you know what if you listen to the podcast why not uh, go off on a (laughs) random tangent for way too long Uh, (laughs) either way quentin um since we talked like i said it's feel like it's been a month and too much insane shit has happened. All the Vince McMahon stuff we haven't even talked well, about. I, I barely mentioned well, I have, it. I have, I, have a, I have a question for you, not, not a wrestling related question. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, as an individual with tattoos, uh, what's the longest you've gone between getting between getting tattoos? 
Oh, geez. I mean, I ha- the last tattoo I got was probably over 15 years ago at this point. But, but, but when you were, like, actively getting tattoos. Oh, I got like, all my tattoos probably within, like, five years. Okay. Yeah. So, it had been five years since my last tattoo. Oh. And when I went and I, when I went on Tuesday, it was the first time I went and got a tattoo by myself. So, that was an experience. Like, and my body was not prepared for getting a tattoo like i was like like i like yeah, yeah. mentally i was ready for it but then as soon as the process started i was like oh yeah like I, my body just forgot how this felt and then on top of like going by myself and you know you've been there having someone to talk to and laugh and joke or do whatever takes your mind off the pain of a needle being drilled into your arm sure. and i didn't have that on tuesday and all i could think about for the majority of my tattoo session until I was like, okay, fuck it. Let me just talk to my tattoo artist, like a normal person and find something in common to talk about. We talked about hard games and shit like that. But my just my prevailing thought on Tuesday as I'm sitting there getting a tattoo is, wow, I am never taking a five-year gap between tattoos <laughs> ever again. <laughs> probably for the best, probably for the best. I mean, probably, uh, you know, the pandemic and COVID and everything was part of that. Yeah. Um, that gap in there but uh yeah i mean i was it's funny you brought this up because it was not related but this morning i was i was looking i was thinking and i was looking at my knuckles because i got tattoos on my knuckles when i was you know really young um and with like a you know a homemade gun it was it's a very interesting story The the person who did it did it with like a electric toothbrush made into a tattoo gun but his brother his older brother was like a legitimate (laughs) tattoo artist who worked at a tattoo shop so it wasn't like just getting like some random shitty tattoo like you know he apprenticed under his brother and kind of knew what he was doing he just was we were both in high school so we were too young to buy a legitimate tattoo gun right yeah so and it's illegal to do tattoos so his brother wouldn't do it but he was there and he watched and like kind of you know did everything and all this stuff but either way i got this tattoo on my knuckles when i was you know in high school uh and not just that i got it but was on my hands and I was like holy shit like a couple days later I was like that was probably pretty stupid because this is not going to be easy to hide um and I was kind of I'll say like a little bit spun out and kind of crazy one night because you know whatever that's what life was like back then and uh, it was starting to scab over and I was looking at it and I'm like oh it looks kind of like it'll peel off and so I kind of like was messing with it and messing with it and then I took a like a razor blade and started just kind of carving it out and I got most of it out, but it left some pretty gnarly scars, and there's still ink in there. Um, but I was thinking about it, and I was like, when this I was a fucking wild. <laughs> this I, is okay, insane. like I said, I'm a crazy person. You know, I, I I lived a totally different life, and this is my point. I was looking at it, and I was thinking about it, and I was like, God damn! I used to, you know, backyard wrestle, doing fucking deathmatch bullshit. I used to get tattoos with a fucking, you know, a. <laughs> uh, 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 toothbrush and carve it out with a fucking razor blade all the crazy shit that i used to do and like i would feel nothing and now i'm kind of like i don't i feel like such a wimp now man i'm like anything that happens to me and i'm like oh it hurts oh i'm sore oh i'm like i used to fucking feel nothing i think that's the thing quentin you said five years when you get older for some reason man like this stuff you just notice the pain and all this stuff more and more like it becomes a lot harder to do so so get this stuff out of the way before you get old that's all i'm gonna say yeah (laughs) i actually got um the first tattoo i got i had um 
I was 17, and I got like a whole, you see my tattoo, I have a whole like half sleeve of my arm, pretty much, that I got when I was 17, and my parents went with me, and uh, they they both have tattoos, so they're both looking at it like, oh, like, I wonder how he's going to react to it, this and that, like, I got I got that whole half sleeve done like four maybe like four hours of tattooing out to maybe like one a.m. and like just didn't feel it at all honestly and to the point where my mom was like this doesn't bother you at all I was like no yeah. I think I think she was honestly like a little upset that like it did not that it did not bother uh. I think she was looking for I think she was looking forward to like oh this this sucks oh, yeah, why yeah. would I do this and I was just sitting there. Eating a chicken sandwich, like no, this is this is fine. This is I'm okay yeah, with exactly. this. That's exactly it, man. I swear to God, when you're young, you just don't even notice this stuff, and then you get older, and it hurts. Everything hurts. I don't know if I would want to do it anymore. Um, but yeah. Either way, <laughs> I guess anything else on this before we move on? Uh, no. I think I'm just like, I think I'm just uh, as much of a weeb as possible now that I have a manga panel attached to my arm. That's true. Like, yeah. I think this is unde- un- like undeniably nerdy at this point. And, you know, I've, I have a manga panel tattooed on my arm. And honestly, nothing feels as nerdy that I do as much as I talk about wrestling. I can, I can go get a manga tattoo, and the nerdiest thing I feel like I do with my time is watch wrestling. <laughs> it's true. It's true, man. And it's fucking... It's always so weird when you see the people. And, you know, this is a good way to transition. Let's... Do you want to do the preview of uh, Forbidden Door right now? Because I think this is a good transition to talk about yeah, fucking, let's do it. all the people who, you know, you talk about being a weeb, right? Japanese, to try to talk about how the puro wrestling and the Japanese wrestlers don't don't communicate and, oh, nobody knows who these guys are and blah, blah, all this and that. And, uh, and then the ratings are kind of dropping off in AEW. Now, I tweeted this out, and I stick with it that I think that 100% the issues right now and the reason why the build and all this is not feeling great is not because of New Japan and AEW as much as it is because of, you know, ton, obviously tons of injuries from the top guys. But they also, like, they had the biggest stories and they basically kind of made it clear to everyone that, like, they're on hold. The CM Punk, MJF, even if it wasn't on TV, when, when MJF cut the shooty shoot promo for the live audience when they went to commercial cm punk is the one who came out and chased mjf into the crowd now yeah they knew that that was going to leak out and that that was going to be the thing so i think that they were trying to build to that and then once punk was out injured instead of moving forward which is what they really should have done they made it clear like okay we're pause we're on break nothing you know we're gonna wait for punk to get back and i just think that the interim title and waiting for punk to get back stuff really just made it insanely way too clear they just telegraphed to everyone like it doesn't matter everything's on hold the important stuff is on hold and the new japan forbidden door stuff is an interlude like i really think that that's the biggest reason why buzz is down what do you think about new japan wrestlers japanese wrestlers not being stars and ratings and all this other stuff like what do you think about the build let's just say the build of the whole thing and then yeah like kind of the investment in the story um, I feel like this is the, the time where the most where you can say how you think they should have approached everything in terms of the MJF story in the fallout of CM Punk getting hurt and that changing plans. But this is one of those times where I give AEW a little bit of 
room for air and cushion and may shoot them some bail because uh, again, things change. Things are always subject to change, but having this, which was going to be your main feud, probably leading into leading into the later stages of the summer, get cut, get cut, uh, get cut at the legs like this is a lot. And I, for me, I give them some leeway. I understand if someone, if someone might not, because you could still salvage it and pair MJF, MJF off with someone else and still ride the wave of that momentum and that interest coming out of the pay-per-view. But I feel like I give them a little bit of leeway here, and I don't think it's the lack of interest in the Japanese talent. Um, what I will give AEW critique for is that the Forbidden Door build, build sucks. That I can straight up say. I think that actual build the Forbidden Door was not very good. Um, okay. How do you feel about this when you talk about the build? Sorry to interrupt you, but talk about the build. Okay, New Japan had Dominion coming up. How do you feel about the fact that like AEW, maybe New Japan was involved in this, but it feels like AEW were way too focused on wanting to like present these stories based on championships, and that New Japan doesn't like to announce anything until championships matches that are already booked have been decided and that what they could have done is really just presented dream matches and a super card and they could have announced it before dominion and they could have announced all the matches before dominion if they hadn't been so focused on wanting championships to be involved um i feel like i feel like it's a weird thing because in order to sell a show like this, you kind of have to, I think there's a desire to have the championships involved to make it feel, to make it feel important. So I, I think, I think that kind of, I think that makes it a little, a little weird. If you do this whole thing and it's all set up in a more exhibition style way. Yeah, but I think, I think ultimately it's not about the championships or titles being on the line. I really do think the bill just sucked. I think that, like Moxie versus Tanahashi for all intents and purposes is the main event of this pay-per-view, right? Yeah, exactly. And like, what the fuck is going on? There, I get it. Tana, I get it. Tanahashi might not be all for all the extra stuff that goes into building up this cross-branding pay-per-view and everything, but no one cares. No one cares about that, and that's ostensibly your main event for this show. And all the mess regarding the IWGP title, and it seemed like okay, Hangman lost the belt. He's calling out Okada. Actually, no. Jay White wins the belt, and everything that we've had that we've had going on there, it does. It just leads itself to having a messy to having a messy build, and you can all you can do is look at the matches on paper. And this isn't even factoring in the injuries to Danielson, Punk, Ishii, like we just saw today. That there was monkey wrenches and everything, and can lessen the quality of the matches. But just coming into the build, even without titles, even without all that extra stuff. They did an awful job with this build to the point where, honestly, it was just a, just an on-paper thing because I'm confident in the match quality. The only thing I'm interested in seeing on this card is Will Ospreay versus Orange Cassidy. That's the only thing I have any interest in on this card because otherwise they've just done an awful job of building to it. And I, I, I don't think there's there's any blame that there's like there's any shortage of blame that could go to go around there i think they just dropped the ball completely on this 
maybe should have picked a different time in the year. I don't know something, but they dropped the ball badly when it came to this when it came to this uh, build here. I will say that I'm probably also excited for Tony Storm versus Thunder Rosa. Yeah. Um, especially Tony just had a really kick-ass match with Marina, which reminded me about like how much I loved the Tony versus Shayna Baszler match. Um, there was a starter match that was good as well, but the the one from the UK tournament always stuck in my head as a phenomenal match. Um, and Thunder Rosa has some of that same kind of MMA background shoot style kind of thing. So I actually think that those two can have a kick-ass match in this setting. And honestly, this might be <laughs> this might be something to say or whatever, but like with the way that this show is and with how shaky Thunder Rosa's title reign has been up until this point, not only is this a great chance for her to steal the show and really solidify her title reign as something, like I, I honestly would almost predict it that I could end up seeing that being the match of the night. Um, and really actually presenting something worthwhile out of Thunder Rosa's Women's Championship title reign that's been a little bit lacking. So, yeah, I, I will say I'm excited for that. But you're right. I mean, Orange Cassidy, Will Ospreay, I'm excited for. You've got a three-way, the tag team match. <laughs> Was I not insanely amped for, like, the United Empire versus FTR match? But then yeah. Rapungi Vice getting thrown in there for God knows what fucking reason. Maybe just to eat the pin. Which you're is probably, bullshit. Probably, yeah, probably, you're probably eat, eat a fall. Which is fucking bullshit, and it's so goddamn annoying to me. Especially if, you know, the rumors are true that the idea is to get the tag team titles on FTR. If New Japan wants their tag team titles on FTR, why can't they beat the champions? Like, if, they're, if they like the team enough that they want them to win the tag team titles, then you, it would logic to reason that they would want to put, you know... They would be willing to put them over the champions. Like, I get that Cobb and O'Connor are important, but I think Jeff Cobb can take a fucking pin here. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's that's ridiculous. Um, you talked about the replacement of Ishii being out, replaced by Clark Connors, and <laughs> I'm sorry, but this is fucking ridiculous. And here's the thing. This is the most glaring part of it. Like, of course... I think it's stupid booking-wise to be like, oh, fuck, like, just put Ishii in there. Or, or Ishii's out, just put the guy who, who he beat in there. Especially, like, Ishii gets beat, or Ishii beats him in this match that supposedly he gets injured in the match. So you're telling me Clark Connors was in a match with Ishii where Ishii got injured, injured so bad that he has to pull out of his next match, but Clark Connors still couldn't beat him, so I'm supposed to take him seriously in this match. Obviously, I think Clark Connors is good, I think he'll actually probably be a better fit in this match even than Ishii would, really. But, um, you know, booking-wise, that it just doesn't make any sense when you put so much effort into, like, creating this interim world title scenario where there had to be multiple matches and a battle royal and all this stuff. And then and Tony Khan spent days fighting with trolls on Twitter explaining how it makes sense booking-wise and all this and that. And then when Ishii gets injured for a four-way match for to, to crown a new champion, he's like, ah, just throw in the guy he beat. And there's nothing else to it. And that's more my problem than anything. I don't, like I said, I think Clark Connors actually even makes more sense in the match. Yeah. But the laziness of the booking when it's like, why did you put so much effort into the other side when it's the interim world title thing? And then this match, you're just like, ah, fuck it. The loser goes in. Like... It doesn't, it's just so, it's like now you're at the point where the, the show is coming up so soon you don't have the time to deal with all this. You have Rampage coming up, which is probably already taped. 
you know, so it's too late to do anything really, but still like you could have done something that made a little bit more sense to get somebody in this match who actually is coming off of a win, <laughs> you know, something that makes slightly more sense, but you know, whatever, I guess they, 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 they just said, fuck it. It's too late. And this shit has just been completely snake bitten from the beginning. And then now that's not even it. I mean, there's more injuries. Uh, Red Dragon is out injured. Both members of Red Dragon are out injured, right? You got the Daniel Bryan, Zack Sabre Jr. stuff, whatever's going on there. Trios match. The trios match actually looks interesting, but, you know, whatever. There's a, an Atomico that looks interesting, but am I going to care that much, you know? And then the, the buy-in pre-show match, honestly, out of all the multi-man tags, is probably the one I'm the most excited about because you got Max Caster and the Gun Club, like the full Gun Club, including Billy Gunn against the the new japan dojo which is like should be really fucking great kevin knight is awesome yuji amora is awesome alex coglin is great dkc is good enough like you know like that that's actually the, in the top the, tier the, of the, matches on the show the eight man tag the eight man tag with darby hiromu shingo and Sting versus bullet club uh should be fun like just based off like lpl um elp and the bucks um and them getting to get them getting to interact with Darby Hiromu, Shing, uh, Shingo and Sting getting to go out there and go crazy like usually does in these matches like that could be fun. I think even the three way tag the three way tag title match will be really will, re, will be really good ultimately. But I understand why you're frustrated because it's like why why wouldn't you just do the do the match straight up? Why yeah. wouldn't you just do United Empire versus FTR straight up? Um, I guess I guess we must, you want to speculate so. I was gonna. I was gonna say, let's get into the the replacement for Brian. Yeah, you talk about that's this? A, that's gonna say. So yeah, Zach actually. So Zach actually appeared on Dynamite. It's was was like pointless. like a sight to see. Yeah, it was, it was like a sight to see. Point pointless because he ultimately didn't do anything. Yeah. But it was like, oh wow, Zach is like on Dynamite. It's kind of crazy. But clearly, this is meant to be Zach versus Brian. That is not happening. So this person that is getting like just getting teased is implied to be a new member of the Blackpool Combat Club. So okay, Tim, so there is we... a lot to, the, and this is another one. This is very confusing, and doesn't make any sense. But I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Continue because I think there's a little bit more you're going to say there. So I was going to say, so Tim, do you think we are getting a debut here? Is this someone on the roster? What do you think? What What are you expecting here from Zach versus X? Here's the thing that I have to say about this: um, is that I think that there's a lot here that's getting confused. There's a lot here of people leaping to conclusions, and there's a lot of stuff that hasn't been clearly stated. So I'm going to lay out my basic thoughts on the entire thing, and I think the way that like weasel words and stuff that's being said has been used um, to, like, make sense or whatever. Okay. I don't know where this idea that the new person is a new member of BCC has come from. The only thing that I can think is that people are extrapolating that um, that because they're going to be in blood and guts that they're going to be a member of BCC, right? That's what I think. But the other side of it is that I, it's been said, and this, I think, was Tony Khan official statement, that I think that maybe Danielson kind of jumped the gun or his promo didn't make this clear enough is that this person if they beat Zack Sabre Jr. then they go on to blood and guts right mm, and this okay. is the only thing that makes me say wait a minute 
is that there is a promo that John Moxley slipped up and said that Wheeler Yuta is going to be in Blood and Guts. So my mm. thought is... You think it'll be Zack versus Wheeler? That it's going to be Zack versus somebody, and Zack is going to win. And Wheeler is going to be in Blood and Guts. Because I, like, I feel like it was. Because I feel like it was Zach's on. Because I feel like it was Zach. Well, one, I, I forgot the Wheeler was in the six man tag already on the card. Yes. But two, if I uh, that makes sense too. Because I feel like if Zach didn't win, it would be weird too. Yeah, like, I think that, that people is, are that jumping that, to conclusions that like Zach is an afterthought and he's just gonna lose. Yeah, like like Zach on this show, whether people like realize it or not, is Zach on the show is a big deal. There's a reason why it was gonna be Danielson at first. Like, and coming like, out of this match, Meltzer keeps saying it. If you listen to Dave Meltzer's podcasts, they're still going to do Danielson versus Zach because it's a dream match that everyone wants to see. So how much sense would it make for Zach that Zach is just to be an afterthought and he loses here? Yeah, you're totally you're to, you're totally right there. Zach is so, winning, and whoever he beats is not in the blood and guts match. Wheeler Yuta is. Interesting. Yeah. So. With that being said, do you think that this is a time where they call an audible and maybe debut someone that they had in their back had in their back pocket already, or maybe like an ROH guy, like like you no, know, oh, like yo, you know, a Jonathan Gresham, Gresham yeah, could be could could be the guy here, or are people getting worked up uh, wrongfully and to think to think to think about a Cesaro possibly being the guy like possibly being the guy here that's another part of it that i find odd is that the way that people are saying like it's got to be cesaro because the way that brian danielson is talking about this person it's the way that he talks about cesaro i don't know where the fuck they're getting this from do you know of a place are you familiar with brian danielson talking about cesaro this way like i mean he, I mean, he probably he, does, but I'm still, not saying that like, he doesn't say good things about him. I'm saying people are like verbatim, word for word. These are the words. This is the terms that Brian Danielson uses when he talks about Cesaro, like saying like the only person that I trust to do the same things as me or whatever, and that kind of you know like. And he's gonna astonish everyone. Like people are saying that there's like there's like dog whistle terms in here that are specific verbiage that Danielson has used in the past. Cesaro, Quentin, you have a better memory than me. Like, do you, uh, was there anything in the promo that really rang out to you to being like, oh, that's the way Danielson talks about Cesaro? Not, no, not real, <laughs> not real. I think I think the point is ultimately like. If Brian can't be in the match, he's gonna do what he sh- do what he should be doing to get the other person over going into it. Right. Like that's right. what right. that's just wrestling one on one. You're gonna hey, I know I'm great, but I can't be in the match. But this other guy, oh, he's really awesome. You're gonna love this guy. Like that's yeah. what you should be doing anyway. <laughs> right. So yeah. So my my thought is, I think it's somebody who's gonna be able to go with Zach. I think that. Again, like I said, it makes the most sense that he actually loses and everyone expects him to win. Uh, I think Cesaro makes sense in a way, but also Cesaro doesn't make sense. I I think that based on what Brian Danielson said here, I think the only person who actually makes sense is Drew Gulak. 
but obviously he's under WWE contract. The only person who I can think of, especially because he said astonish, you know, and I was just thinking about the amazing Gulaks. Yeah. Being like, amazing! Yeah, right? So who, it's like... Yeah, like, not like, who could... I who really have can, no clue. <laughs> who can wrestle on the mat just as good as Brian Danielson? Who can then bring it in a fucking bloody brawl, blood and guts cage mat? Like, Gulak is the is, guy. Wait, well, hold on. It wouldn't be Thatcher, would it? I was thinking Thatcher. I doubt, I, I doubt it, but... But Thatcher here's the thing would, about Thatcher. Thatcher is in Noah now. Noah is owned by Cyber Agent. Cyber Agent specifically made a big deal that they did not want Takashita involved in the Forbidden Door with New Japan. So I just think Thatcher obviously can be a freelancer to Noah, so maybe his contract, they don't have the same control over what he can do. And also, he's a gaijin, so maybe they don't care as much. But it would seem odd to me that they would be so, like, head, like just completely like against the idea of Takashita being on the show in any way. Even if he didn't wrestle a New Japan wrestler, they said, no, he's not on the show at all. But then they would allow Thatcher to be on the show. You know what I mean? So that's kind of the yeah. thing where I'm like, it can't be Thatcher. The other person who crossed my mind, who obviously no one is thinking of, would be Hot Sauce Tracy Williams. You know, new, former ROH wrestler, possibly under some kind of contract or tentative agreement with um, with AEW here. And if you want to talk about someone who could bring it you know, on the mat and then could also bring it when it comes to the aggression. Obviously the closest thing to Gulak that, that exists that's not under contract to WWE. But again, I don't think that it makes sense for the way that he's hyping it up that you would want to do that because it would feel like a disappointment to people who are getting excited. So it's really tough to say. But as I said, the idea that the person is going to lose to to Zack Sabre Jr. and then Wheeler Yuta is going to be the one in Blood and Guts, I think something like Grisham makes the most sense. Some something like Grisham showing up to wrestle a technical wrestling clinic on the mat against Saber is probably the best thing you can do. Um, that said, if I want to tease, that said, if we want to tease something that we'll get to later, if you want to really fucking pop me, you have like Adam Priest or Travis Huckabee. Um, but you know that's not gonna happen. But, but also at the same time, what makes the Zach thing, Zach thing complicated is that Gresham is still the ROH champion. <laughs> Sure, so sure, like, but Tony owns ROH, and I don't know how much he cares. Yeah, you're right. But I also, I, I don't know. I feel like that complicates a little bit. Maybe like, like I don't think Samoa Joe's on the card. You could do like Zach versus Joe, maybe. You could, you could. Um, you could go that, with that, 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 that. That actually make a lot of sense. I know that Joe's a TV champ, but Zach versus Joe would make sense. Yeah. You've got my number one real pick, who would be best for both, which is just put Sasha Banks um, in both matches. <laughs> and then my troll pick is Marty Scroll because of the history between Zach and him, and then also, you know, like, th that would really drive the, the internet nuts. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I just... It, it, there is a lot here, so it is interesting to think about what there could be. And then also, it could be nothing. Like, here's the one that really gets me, because I see it getting thrown around a lot, and I'm just like... Jesus Christ, like, you people, like, what is in, going on in people's brains? Lee Moriarty. Could you imagine if they put Lee Moriarty in this spot? That'd be cool if they did, but I don't think they would. I don't think it's happening, and I don't think that the crowd would be into it. I just don't think... Not, not at all. Yeah, I don't think it would get over. So it's kind of like, ah, uh, I don't know. But also, it's going to be tough, because, like, 
what is anything that what's really going to get over here? You're you're kind of Danielson is a very special person that can do like a technical wrestling grappling thing with with Zach and actually like get over like I don't know is is Negro Navarro around? <laughs> uh, can you get can you get Virus to work the mat? Like I don't know. Like there's there is definitely like what the fuck are we gonna do here? Hechicero might be fun. Uh, they had a match in PWG, didn't they? Yeah, they did. It was really good. So yeah, there it's it is like a what the fuck like. And then yeah, then now okay, so now do we just get like really crazy and start talking about like insane Ishikawa showing up here like you know like Hideki Suzuki I saw someone I saw actually John from uh, wrestling Omakase which is on hiatus but put Hideki Suzuki out there how nuts would that be Josh Barnett like, I don't know what the fuck what do you do here yeah, I mean, yeah this point it was like if someone like Zach is not losing this match right like, yeah like, so I, think, like, I think that's the thing I think that's the thing here like he's he's not losing here to whoever it is right and that's the thing I think that too many people were just taking for granted, that Zach is an afterthought here. But I think that that's the part that people are missing, is that Zach is, like, Zach is important coming out of this, and, like, it continues, like, to build to the match with Danielson. So I think, actually, Zach needs to win here. So, I don't know. I don't know, Quentin, but, <laughs> yeah. I, I threw out a lot of there, there Quentin. I, I, I need some... I need you to throw something out here. Come on. I don't... Get in the mud with me. So I don't... I don't like this is this is such a weird thing. There really is just like so much going on here. Like this would be the good time for a debut. But yeah. at the same time, Zach is such a fresh commodity when it comes to the states that you could do almost anything. And I feel like I feel like people people would be receptive to it. It just so happens that some of the people that might be they might be receptive to wouldn't make sense. Like Zach versus Daniel Garcia, like just based on things, how well, things shook up, now it just wouldn't make sense. Well, like, I was gonna say it honestly kind of would make sense because they're teasing dissent within the the Jericho Appreciation Society since Sammy joined. Garcia has not mm-hmm. been like very positive towards Garcia or towards Guevara, so the idea that Danielson basically kind of pokes the hornet's nest by offering Garcia not only a dream mm. match against Zack Sabre Jr., but a spot on this big card that Jericho didn't give him. That's and Garcia good, takes it. That's a, that's a good one. Yeah. That is actually that's actually a good one. So to me, I'm kind of like, ah, you could make that work in storyline and in everything else. And, and the disappointment, because I do still think that the crowd would be disappointed by that until they saw the match. And then maybe yeah. they could win him back over. Yeah, just I really. And you're really getting babyface Garcia probably for like the first time in front of uh, the AEW crowd. They may actually like really fall in love with him because that's one thing about Garcia is he's a great heel, and I think we we love him as a heel. But honestly, he can be a phenomenal babyface as well. So yeah, yeah. I think in storyline that makes sense. There's a lot of there's a lot of reasons to go with that. I'm thinking. Uh... Gun to my head, I'm going either Samoa Joe or Jonathan Gresham. Me too. I'm going Gresham. I think my number one pick would be Gresham. I think my um, I think my kind of left field. Let's say okay. Do your like logical pick, dark horse pick, right? So mm. you're gonna say your logical pick Gresham. What's your dark horse? 
Hmm. My log my logical pick is Gresham. If I did a dark horse. Man, okay. Yeah, if I if I did if I did a dark horse, I would I would probably still say Cesaro. Okay. If I did if I if I did a dark horse. I doubt that I doubt that one for sure. My two logical my two logical picks are Joe and Gresham, but if I had to pick a dark horse or a shot in the dark one, it'd be it'd be Cesaro. And I don't completely rule out Thatcher. But sure. I know I know that the cyber agent thing makes that complicated. Yeah. I'm gonna say that my logical based on booking and all the stuff that I've laid out here, my logical pick is Garcia still with him losing. Um, mm. Because I think that they want to break him off of uh, the Jericho Appreciation Society, but I don't Which think they, they want to just have him join the Blackpool Combat Club instantly. Right. And I think, I think this is the way to do it. I think, that, I think it makes sense, too, because... Ultimately, I think that this the Sammy stuff wound up happening just because that wasn't meant to happen. That was audible based off. We we realized we fucked up with Sammy. Let's just, let's just put him back with Jericho, and that was working. We can come back. We can come back to this another time. But the Sammy thing didn't work. Fuck it. And the whole point of it was almost for Dan for Daniel Garcia to be the new Sammy, and it just wouldn't work to have the both of them around. Filling that, filling that role, so I totally get that, and I think that makes a lot of sense logically. Yeah. So my yeah my logical choice Garcia, I'm gonna go with my dark horse as uh, Cesaro with you. I think Cesaro is the dark horse pick. Um, here's the other side of it, and this is something that's crossed my mind a little bit. The stuff that I talked about, Yuta and in the match, in the blood and guts, and all this and that. Um, I think could have been what I said. Moxley messing up and mentioning something that he should have mentioned. The other side of it, Blood and Guts is, isn't five on five. Blood and Guts is six on six because mm. Jericho Appreciation Society has six members now. Now that Sammy has joined, so the other side team ends up having six members, and whoever the new person is is actually on the team. That's the other. That's the other side of that. So I know that all I presented to you was the the Yuta slip up and all that, but there is the other side of it. Where's the possibility that we end up with six on six? Um, so we'll see. But uh, I think that's enough <laughs> on Forbidden Door. Unless you want to talk about uh, the uh, the the inaugural All Atlantic title match or the four way the four way no. title match for the IWGB World Championship that we haven't even really mentioned. No. Who cares? Who, Who could possibly care about, you know, Jay White, Adam Page, Adam Cole, and Kazuchiko Okada, who showed up on Dynamite and did just, just, slightly more than Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah, Zack Sabre Jr. came out in a blazer, just like, hey, like, just like said, hey, and then went to yeah. the back. <laughs> but Okada came out and, like, actually teased a Rainmaker. He did, like I said, slightly more than Zack, but not much. I. You want to talk about um? This is like not very important. What do you think of, of of Booker T saying Sasha Banks shouldn't go to AEW? <laughs> I mean, Quentin, there's a lot of things <laughs> that I would love to say about Booker T between me and you that I do not want to say on a podcast. Um, I think you know how I feel about Booker T. 
Um, I, I, I probably I probably feel the same way about him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes this. I mean, I don't even know. Like Booker T is one of these ones where I don't know. Like, I honestly believe that Booker T might actually be one of the smartest, best workers in the history of wrestling. But at the same time, like, I don't know if he just like kind of goes goes along to get along kind of guy. Or if he really knows what he's doing. You know what I mean? That's the problem with Booker. Because he's always positioned himself really well to do well with the people in charge and make them happy. And he gets, he gets you know, he gets what he, like, a lot of things out of that. And he's been taken care of because of that. But does he know what he's doing? Or, you know, does he care? That's the tough part. And... Of course, he's talking out of his ass because he's just towing the company line. And again, like I said, can you completely blame him? I don't know. I mean, it's it's served him well, is what I'll say. What do you think? Right. I, I think he's very much towing company towing company line. It's it just I think it's just pointless to touch like touch on certain topics if you're gonna say dumb shit like that anyway. Like, what could possibly be your reason? Oh, Sasha Banks shouldn't go to AEW. Like, what, what would possibly even be a good reason to bring that up other than like? You know, mentioning her name on your pro on your programming will will generate some kind of numbers and social social media traction. Other than that, like, what are even what are you even talking about that for? If, you, if that's if that's all you're gonna say, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> of course. But like, you could say the same thing. Booker T should have never gone to TNA, right? Yeah, easily. Okay. Well, what the fuck, man? You know, like, okay, whatever. You know, it is what it is. Um, either way, Forbidden Door, sounds good, I'll watch it, eventually, I don't think I'm gonna, you know, do the watch it live and do the whole thing like I have been with every AEW pay-per-view up until this point, um, but, uh, or I guess I haven't really done that up until this point, either way, uh, moving forward, Quentin, I know you said you didn't catch up on Japan, Puro Resu, as they call it, um, um, what is it, Puresu Flosion, um, but DDT. Oh, oh, I'll leave, I'll leave, I'll leave them alone. I'll leave them alone today. Yeah, I'm not gonna now. do it today, but I'm gonna leave it alone. I'm gonna leave it alone. We'll today. talk to him later. Uh, King of DDT for the world cha- or for the DDT Openweight Championship. Have you heard any of the spoilers? Have you been following it at all? Mm-mm, I've not heard any spoilers. I'm completely okay. spoiler free on on all of that. Okay, I'll recommend it. You know the stuff that you think that if you look at it and you expect it to be good, it's good. You know. Um, can, you tell me, can you tell me some of the first round? Okay, first round. You've got Hiroshima versus Hideki Okan, uh, Okatani. Really, okay. really solid match. Hiroshima just kicks the shit out of him. It's great. Uh, Yoshimura versus Chris Brooks. Yoshimura, I I think I put this out there. I said it maybe on the podcast last, or the, the bonus app, but like I'm not ready to give up on Yoshimura, and I think DDT is not either. Um, check this out and definitely check out the next round. Ueno versus Cannon. Uh, really, really good stuff from Ueno, of course. Sasaki versus Hino. I'll admit I skipped it. Not not worth my time. Um, Ino versus Mao. Again, that's a skip for me, especially when the match goes nearly 15 minutes. Um, Sakaguchi versus Akiyama. Oh, you know that's my shit. Uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely worth checking out. And here's one. And I've mentioned, I think I slightly mentioned this before, but I really gotta like put it over here. Uh, Higuchi versus Yukio 
Nahai. Nahai. Nahai has gotten good. Like, really? I'm not saying he's great, but compared to what he was like before, he is a solid big man wrestler now. I guess it's Nai, right? Yukio Nai? Mm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, definitely check that out because obviously Higuchi is amazing, but Nai is like in there with him. So so what, what would you say was the, was the best one of the first round? For the first round, the best thing is Sakaguchi and uh, and Akiyama, followed sure. number two by um, Ueno and Kanan. What have you thought about uh, Kanan so far? So far, has not really done a ton for me, but really was looking good here. Smaller room, not as big of a crowd and stuff, and um, and against Ueno, who's really good at you know selling and bumping for him. I actually thought that he looked pretty good there. But what about you? What have, what have you thought? I feel like he, I feel like he's been solid the time the time that the time that I've seen him. He looks like a, he looks like a million bucks, obviously. So I feel like there's someone he's someone that they have plans for going forward i'm not blown away or anything but i do i do like him though i I do i do enjoy him yeah um yeah so those are the those are the ones that i would recommend from the first round um and then yeah second round um i don't know how talk why takanashi is in the second round when he didn't have a match in the first round i don't completely get it maybe he was replacing someone and i didn't realize um, which I guess would make sense because Sasaki didn't show up, so maybe he was replacing Sasaki. I didn't look this up, but Takanashi is in the second round for some reason, facing Higuchi. You know, whatever. It, it is what it is. That's a really good match on paper. I like yeah, that a lot. Yeah. No, no, no. It was, it was a quick, but it was just a quick match, and it was like clearly set up for what it was meant to be, which is just yeah. like whatever. Um, um, Yuki Ino versus Akiyama. Obviously, that's a skip. I'm just even Akiyama. I'm not gonna watch an Eno match. Um, Sasaki. Oh, actually, Sasaki is in the second round. Now I'm like, oh god, who did he replace? Who did he replace? I'm like so confused as to what they're doing here. I guess he replaced Harashim. No, ah, doesn't matter. Either way, um, Yoshimura and Harashima, fantastic. I definitely highly recommend it. And Ueno versus Sasaki, also fantastic. And I, I recommend that one too. Um, either way, the finals are coming up in like a couple days. I think it's like seven three July and like third or yeah July third. So you can watch it on the fourth of July. Um, see some fireworks. And uh, I don't know. Do you want me to tell you the final two matches? Yeah, for sure. Go ahead. All right, the final two matches are are they make sense? You know, when you look at it based on who was left from the final four. Um, it's just the obviously matches, obvious matches, Akiyama and, and Higuchi and, uh, Ueno versus Yoshimura. And, uh, that's two kick-ass matches as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ueno and Yoshimura have not hit the heights of what I want from them yet, but this is just another chance from them. Yoshimura, like I said, has been looking phenomenal here, especially kind of t- Hiroshima taking him under his wing and then beating him in the second round um, in a really kick-ass long match is making me feel like, like I said, I'm not ready to give up on Yoshimura. He's my guy, and I think that he's definitely showing, showing like that he uh, he deserves my support. Continuing, so this is this is looking good. And Higuchi and Akiyama are like, I mean, who would expect, right? Like, yeah, 
Akiyama at this point in his career to find another random amazing wrestler to like just have great chemistry with but you know the man just continues and continues <laughs> to deliver and these two just are every time they get together it's magic so of course it's going to happen again um but yeah that's the that's the ddt corner for a second there um we were going to talk about prestige the new reality because i went live but i will admit that i had a pretty crazy day on this day so i got there late um i missed the first three matches and basically walked into the building in the middle of the fourth match um quentin you said you watched the show and you found it pretty boring correct yeah i don't think prestige is a good company if I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, perfectly honest with you, um, great atmosphere. Like yeah. the people are lively and they're happy to be there for whatever reason. So there's not much I can. So there's not like it's not like I can just say it's a total failure or whatever. But other than the big, like the big top heavy matches they book for main events or co-main events, I think that as a company, it's like largely pretty bad. Yeah, it's a bad company. Um... They book a lot of bad matches. Sometimes when they book good matches, they still find a way to make them bad, which is impressive. Yep. Um, and yeah, it's it's the BLP. They have the BLP syndrome, and at times I've even said that they pass BLP when it comes to like booking matches that are good on paper and then suck shit when you when you actually watch them, which is like again kind of impressive to be able to pull that off. And sometimes, like, also impressive to, like, get a book good talent and figure out ways to book them in the worst possible ways. Um, so, yeah, they're, sometimes they surpass BLP, but BLP is still the GOAT because they're able to pull off some just truly horrendous booking. Um, but, yeah, that said, like I said, I, I got in the building late. Um, and this was not the same vibe as the prestige shows in the Pacific Northwest, really, in the Southern California, but still good. The crowd was pretty hot. There's a lot of hooting chugs mm-hmm. that were there for anything stupid. Um, I did hear um, one of the worst things that I've ever heard in a, in a live wrestling atmosphere. Actually, there's a very deeper story to this that I don't necessarily want to get into, but I do think that I heard someone proposition um, someone for like a... a, a open relationship three-way you know the meme where it's like you know we saw you across the room and we dig your vibe like the married couple uh i kind of i think i saw that happen and it was very uncomfortable um but i did hear outside of that i did hear one of the just cringiest worst things i've ever heard said out loud during wrestling match um which was during uh takashita versus lee moriarty i heard someone earnestly uh, look towards their partner and then towards everyone around in the vicinity and say professional wrestling at its finest and uh i wanted to die <laughs> <laughs> I, I wished that there was a way that i could climb inside of my own asshole and somehow unexist after hearing that imagine just imagine saying that to someone you're romantically interested in <laughs> yeah in any kind of way and then like really thinking that would just like a good statement to come out of your mouth (laughs) imagine thinking it thinking it even for a second having that thought in your brain and then not having the ability to 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 differentiate between worthwhile things that you think to stay out loud and not say out loud like even the first step having it come into your mind um is really tough because i'm i just don't relate to having that thought 
And then to be like, this is a thought that everyone needs to hear. Anyone around me needs to know this thing. Um, yeah, that was uh, rough, 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 rough. Um, that said, I went back and watched the opening match, which I wish I was in the building for. West Coast Wrecking Crew, Dom Kubrick and, and Lucas Riley. This kind of rocked. Um, no, this, but, this was solid. But I will say, West Coast Wrecking Crew, Royce Isaacs, Roy, Darrell Nelson, you guys are on notice. Don't bump and sell so much for these little tiny guys. And it's not necessarily their fault, but the commentary also made it worse because the commentary didn't understand how to sell something like that. When the little tiny guys bump the big guys, you got to really put it over the top like it was an insane feat. And they instead were busy focusing on like, oh, actually, Dom Kubert, he's really strong. Actually, you got to realize that these guys are super strong. And it's not, that's not the point. Like, you should not be talking about that. You shouldn't be talking about, actually, they're strong. You should be talking about, holy shit, they caught him out of nowhere. Oh, my God, it's a fluke. This is insane. You know, like, when the big guy, when the big monster muscle men bump around for the little guys, you got to, like, really put it over that it's, like, insane and not, like, proof of how good the little guys are. Like, that was, Mm. that, but the match itself was fun. It was really fun, but that was just, like, kind of the only issue. Um, Mia Yim versus Willow Nightingale. Either the best or the second best match on the night. Um, th- that really kicked ass. I don't know what you thought about it, or if you even it watched good. it. It was good. I thought. I thought. I thought it was solid. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Kid Bandit versus Funny Bone in the building was insanely over. And honestly, I thought it was a pretty good match. Like, it's pretty easy to shit on Kid Bandit. They do some goofy stuff, but. Their stuff actually looks kind of cool, and I don't hate Kid Bandit, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. I know a lot of people want me to. I know a lot of people who also don't like Kid Bandit or whatever, but, like, to me, fine. And Funny Bone, always perfectly serviceable. Um, so, yeah, I honestly thought that that was a pretty good match. Like, in the building, maybe I would not recommend, like, go out of your way to watch it or anything to someone on tape, but in the building, it was a lot of fun, and... Uh, and it was like a not a good match. It wasn't just Gaga, and the only reason why it was good was because it was in the building. It was actually a good wrestling match. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts. No, I don't have any thoughts on this one. <laughs> yeah, main event: Takashita, Lee Moriarty. Do you have any thoughts on that, Quentin? I I liked it. I thought it, I thought it was very good. Um, this felt like the popcorn version of what. A match between them could be knowing both knowing, knowing both of their skill sets. The crowd was super into it. I'm happy. I'm happy to see the receptions that Takashita is getting. That uh, Takashita is getting in the states. But I, I, I think I, I can see a better match between these two. Honestly, I thought it did its job. Set the crowd hold happy, and it was easily the best match on the show, and it was a main event that delivered. But it felt very surface level for what I think that these two could do, and. I liked it. I know that there's more that could have been done here, though. When this match got announced and I bought the tickets, it was before Takashita had been on AEW TV. Um, he may have had, you know, dark matches here and there. And I was excited to see what Takashita could do against someone like Lee Moriarty in front of a crowd who doesn't know who he is, right? Like, I was really, really interested in that. And then as time went on... <laughs> he became kind of what he is now, which is 
it's a very interesting situation because he's becoming like a major star that people are really into. Um, and he's doing some of the best work that he's done in probably like four or five years. And, you know, consistent work, I guess. That's the thing about like his run for a while has been very good, if not boring. And then having like not as many like every match is banging and hitting on all cylinders like it is right now. Um, but it is tough to not say that he's been phenomenal the whole time and we've talked about it enough either way. Um, but he's becoming something else. And then as time went on, even prestige realized it and they adjusted cause this match when it was announced was like middle of the card and then it got transitioned to being the main event. Um, and I was hoping to see what that would be like in the building around people who didn't know who he was. But once we were here, Everyone in the building knew who he was. Everyone in the building was insanely excited. Uh, there was, like, no one in here. So that definitely added to the aura of watching the match. Um, it was professional wrestling at its finest. I, I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have, down, I shouldn't have <laughs> downgraded what that person had to say. But, yeah, I mean, this match was good for what it was, but it felt like house show Takashita versus Moriarty just kind of doing his thing. And not really getting in the depths. The toughest part is that Moriarty, like, there was that time period where Moriarty was looking really good and doing a ton of interesting stuff and, and seemed like something could come of it. And he's just completely, all a lot of that has just, like, been grounded down and we're just not seeing what we used to see from Moriarty. Um, the arm work stuff I thought was really good. Um, and, I, and I thought that, like, that added some depth to it, but it just didn't... It really wasn't there for a super insane amount of time, you know? And then, you know, they were just... They were playing a lot of the hits, really popping the crowd. They didn't have to do a ton of work to get over. But, you know, it was fine. I'm not going to complain. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of my takeaway on everything. Um, do we want to move into the Hales-verse? Do you have any other um, thoughts on the show? Uh, I'm good. Uh, Prestige and West Coast Pro are the same promotion to me, and neither of them are very good. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Southern Underground Pro, you are freaking me out. New ring announcer, Jay Rose. Divisive? Is that fair to say? Is di- is Jay Rose a divisive ring announcer? Is he? I feel like just, there's just... people who really don't like Jay Rose. Right? I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't care for him, but it's like it's kind of whatever. If people don't like really dislike J Rose, then I'd be surprised to hear that. But also not at the same time, considering he's a black ring announcer who does sure, like sure. kind of does kind of does his own thing. I think I think a lot of the major hate has kind of died down, but there used to be a lot of people who were like, he's unprofessional and not obnoxious, tries to get himself over, you know, you know, un, you know all that kind of thing, unserious. I, 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 I prefer I prefer my ring announcers to just do the job and go back, right. <laughs> but whatever. Sure. And, and, but like, I, 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 also, I also kind of feel like again, like it it doesn't it doesn't sound like his age very well now, but it's like unless you're Jim Smallman, like who who was like an actual performer and is really good at like engaging and bantering with audiences, like I just don't think that you should be doing that. Yeah, and I was gonna say it's also really hard. Again, like I said, the stuff has really subsided, but it'd be kind of insane to make any of that argument in a place like Southern Underground Pro if you compare mm. Jay Rose to Righteous Jesse. You know what I mean? Of course. Like, you can't, 
if you want to say be professional and the the ring announcer shouldn't have any character and all this, you cannot say that in the context of Southern Underground Pro. Like, yeah, so either way, uh, new ring announcer, Jay Rose. We were wondering, you know, what's going to happen with Righteous Jesse taking off, maybe some other shakeups in the background. Southern Underground Pro, two episodes or two shows in a row feel like they're really two episodes that's just a weird thing two shows in a row i don't even what am i talking about two shows is better two shows is probably better than episodes you know i'm talking i'm like peacock talking about two, wwe on peacock seasons um two, the, two yeah. events yeah two two um uh what oh god premium live events right yeah um, <laughs> in a row really feels like they're they're freshening things up and resetting things and i mentioned it on the last show but isaiah Bronner coming mm-hmm. out here this definitely feels like you are refreshing and resetting and you're making this a new top guy. Especially when he comes out here against Kevin Koo and Man, absolutely yeah. steamrolls and demolishes him. What did you think the about way this? The, the way this match was structured at first, well, it was happening at first. Like, it just seemed like it was going to be a regular back and forth competitive match. Yep. I saw it on paper. And I'm like, okay. They're clearly like Broner. Ku was Ku. It seems like it was like I could see Ku losing because but I felt like, like they this. Had, yeah, and then to see how it happened, where it feels like it's just going normal at first, and then Broner hits him hits hits him with a bit with a big move, and then Ku's out on his feet, and Broner just stands up and hits him with this. Broner just stands him up and hits him with this emphatic, hard ass lariat. And both hands on the chest pins him. It's like, oh, wow! <laughs> like, and I it love was... it. It's so, it's such fucking good booking. Like this stuff doesn't, doesn't happen very often, and when it does happen often, it's shocking. And this was a perfect guy to do it with. It was the perfect guy to do it to. Like it was a perfect placement on the on the card for it because Ku has been doing this thing where he's working multiple matches on shows at points at points at times. It was. This was I loved everything about this. Yeah, it was it was great because okay, so Bronner hits a an F five, um, and he picks Koo up in the pin, and commentary doesn't even like they don't predict it they don't like give anything away they're like this is a mistake, the fuck yeah. is he thinking he's fucking himself over he picks him up out of the F five. And he pulls Koo up to his feet, and that's why it's even better, because like you said, Koo's not just out on his feet, he's punch drunk. He throws a forearm, and you can see that it registers to Bronner like, this guy's done. He's not even there. The, he's standing up, and and that's the great thing, because it fits the Koo character. That's why it's perfect. Koo is not only out, completely out, doesn't know what's going on, but he's up on his feet, he's barely able to stand, someone picked him up, but his natural instinct is he still tries to throw a strike even though there's nothing behind it. The lights are on, nobody's home, right? Koo is... But you can tell it's Kevin Koo, you know, true till death. The guy is going to go. As long as he's on his feet, he's going to throw a strike, but there's nothing behind it. So when Bronner registers, oh, this motherfucker's done, just completely done. He throws this whiff-ass forearm that does absolutely nothing, doesn't connect, does nothing. Bronner, and then, yeah, Bronner puts him down with an insane clothesline 
just standing short arm clothesline and pins him and puts him out of his misery, basically, when he realizes, like, I'm not even going to have any more fun with this guy. He's already out. He's already dead. That was, it was perfect because it plays, it like I said, it plays into the coup character that he's never going to stop fighting even if he, even if he's unconscious. In his unconscious, he's still fighting. But that doesn't mean that he can beat someone like Isaiah Bronner, who's possession, positioned at this point as an absolutely unstoppable monster. So yeah, that I thought that, that was great. Um, and then again, like I said, we're talking about the new school. We're talking about the new sup, the new Southern Underground Pro, and we get Brandon Williams versus Nick Iggy. And uh, this is a weird thing about Nick Iggy <laughs> that I've always <laughs> noticed and always thought was. I mean, maybe it's just Dylan, but I feel like it's constant. Is every time that Nick Iggy wrestles, like I feel like the commentary always tries really hard to talk about how like you should still take him seriously. You know, I just think it's so weird. What an evil, dastardly man. Yeah, he's evil and dastardly, and he does all of this bullshit, but also, you know, when he wants to turn it up, he can really fight, and he can actually do something, and and he can grapple, and he's actually a good wrestler and all this stuff. It's so funny, because, I mean, I'm not even saying that it's not true, but it's so funny that it's such a big trope of his career. It's a a very big point of emphasis, and it's like, all right, guys, like, if people are watching this show, I feel like they are somewhat familiar with Nick Iggy. Yeah, at this point, we all know that he's not just the down south dandy. We all know that he can go. Um, Brandon Williams, definitely a guy to check out. I would say keep him, you know, keep him in mind. He's not a 100% lock on your watch list as a guy in the next match as that I've already called out and said that people should be paying attention to. Although he is, the, I guess, the lock. He's the locksmith. He should be the lock of the week, but... Um, good stuff. I like the focus on the limb work. I like the focus on the ankle. I think that, um, that Brandon Williams is honestly really fucking good. Um, and Nicky, Nicky bumping around for him looks great. Yeah. He's got the poise of someone much further along in their career than he should be. Um, but yeah, feels like a guy that SUP is presenting strongly gets the win here. Quentin, what do you think? Uh, I love the same takeaways. I'm getting more and more impressed with Brandon Williams as he goes on. I think they're picking the right matchups for him, too. I think that Iggy was a good guy to put him in there with, a guy with some cash and some credibility, some name value to him, even if he hasn't been as active in the last, in the last couple of years or relevant, uh, if you want to use that word, in the last couple of years. But he's still a very good scout. Like, if you're if you're building Brandon Williams up in this, in this southeastern scene, getting a win over Nick Iggy is – uh, is a good is a good way to keep building him up. Yeah. The next one here, this is my absolute lock of the century. Yep. Have to keep you. keep your fucking eye on him. Do not, you know, have him on your short list of people to watch. Noah Hossman taking mm-hmm. on Barry Von Vicious here. Um and this is you talked about like you know guys around and all this and that. Perry Von Vicious, I mean, Sup is pulling veterans from around the scene that haven't even been on the shows before to help put over their new guys, right? Um, but they do a really good job here on commentary, especially. I think if you're in the building, maybe if you weren't familiar with Perry, the crowd seems like they knew who he was, or at least somewhat familiar, or at least they're just willing to play along. But uh, but also Noah did a great job of bumping, selling, building him up, and then overcoming the monster, making a big deal out of it. Also doing it relatively quickly, under 10 minutes, but still telling a pretty in-depth story in that regard. Um, yeah, I thought that this was great. And again, Noah Hossman, a guy that you just got to keep your fucking eye yeah. on. Quentin, go ahead. Noah's really good, man. I remember I said it however long ago, I think before the last show that we did, Noah's really good. <laughs> like, 
and I, I think we'll, we'll talk about uh, Southern Underground Pro, but yeah, or not Southern, um, Southeast First, Uncharted Territory, but yeah, I mean, he's great. I, he's he's really he's really awesome, and I love everything about him. He has we talked about it before when we, talked, when we did action, but he has the credibility for someone his size and strong, has a great look, but he also is just a really good character. He's great at stooging and bumping around. He's funny. He's engaging the way he talks to the audience, the way he interacts with the audience. Like he's a perfect, he's a perfect heel for for uh for for for, uh, for this promotion and for the places that he works. He's just he he has it down at a pretty at a pretty good level already. And I'm curious to see how much better he gets. He he gets it. He's a guy. He's a guy that definitely gets it. And isn't just coasting by on size or like in ring ability and stuff. And that stuff will get even better with time. But it's the per- it's the personality stuff. It's the it's the way he inter- interacts with the audience when he comes out. He has that stuff already nailed down to a Z. Yeah, I think there's someone we'll talk about a little bit later. I think you can compare to when it comes to natural in in ring charisma, um, but also. Like you said, having the size, having the natural talent, and also seemingly really wanting to be good. Like, really wanting to work hard. And I think Hossman has everything that you want there, honestly. And it's... I said it. Uh, Simon tweeted, you know, responding to me. Like, the name is stupid. When I saw Noah Hossman, I wrote it off. I was like, fuck this guy. What a stupid name. But, dude, the more that I continue to watch and pay attention to him, holy shit. Like... I wish that we could change the name. <laughs> I really do because I think that this the Hossman name is just going to turn people off. But people should be paying attention to this guy. He is getting really good really quick and I don't see signs that he's going to slow down. Follow this up. Uh, Jocelyn Navarro versus Delmi Expo. The lesser half of the Sea Stars as far as I'm concerned. Uh, she does not do much here to... Uh, to kind of redeem that that side of things, um, yeah. I just Delmi Delmi has always it's always been worse in the Sea Stars team because um, you know comparatively to uh, to Ashley Vox to Vox, she's like clearly not as snug, not as tight, not as I guess smooth. Um, it's always been the case, but then it, you put her into singles here. She's trying to work heel. She's trying to be more serious and it's just not working for me. Um, just, I don't know. Not, uh, not a wrestler that I've ever been a big fan of. Jocelyn Navarro. She wasn't particularly ahead. great here either. No. Oh. Didn't get much, but yeah, Quentin, do you have any other thoughts? Uh, no, I, I probably like Delmi a little bit more here than you did, but it's not something I'd be writing I'd be writing home about and then Jocelyn Navarro didn't leave like a great impression on me here either like really noticeably like bad and clunky at certain at, at certain points between these two um I thought I like W personality I guess messing with messing with the heel character but still just didn't do a lot for me all right and then now what we're all here to talk about match of the weekend I think probably without a question on the short list of possible match of the year contenders, possibly a guy this that I've mentioned. Either. Go ahead. Well, this is my favorite. This is my favorite match I've seen in a while. <laughs> yeah, possibly 
a me- or, or, a guy who I've talked about I wish was getting booked everywhere more often in Travis Huckabee. A guy who I've talked about being the MVP of the southern scene of IWTV of Uncharted Territory in Adam Priest. And they went out here and delivered. But Quentin, let's hear your thoughts. Yeah, I think Huckabee is such a delight every time we get to see him. Because you don't see him very often. Even if you watch stuff like Limitless or Can't Leapfrog or whatever, you're not seeing Travis Huckabee as much as, as, much as you like for how talented and great he is. A guy that's going to go out there and have a great match literally every time every time you see him. And this was just such a good, this was such a good, perfect pairing too. The, the dueling, the dueling, uh, the dueling limb work here and the great, and the great selling between, between both of them, the aggression and the pace is not just this smart, savvy technical wrestling match, but there is a lot of aggression and anger here. The fighting on the outside, it's not just cute wrestling stuff. They, they do that and there's nerd bait and there's, all that stuff to get into, but they ultimately are still fighting each other and being aggressive with one another at the end of the day. And I think that's what took that match from being, oh, this is really good to this is great. When they can add in that other level, escalate it and go be and go beyond almost an exhibition feeling type of thing to a real down in the trenches kind of fight. I love this. This is one of my favorite matches I've seen in a while. One of my favorite matches of the year. I thought this was really, really good. Yeah, this the setting is phenomenal. The especially because the basement east for everything that you can say positive about the crowd, like they're not wrestling nerd nerds, you know, like so it makes it good when Travis Huckabee does kind of world of sport esque stuff, it doesn't feel like he's, you know, doing tribute acts for to pop the crowd he's doing stuff and it feels authentic and smooth and it makes sense in the context and that's the other thing about it is that i mean travis huckabee at this point feels like he's perfected the kind of matt wrestling thing that quack and bush was always trying to do um which is like really hybridize all of the great matt wrestling from around the world from japan america like old older american like folk you know early golden era american grappling lucha and world of sport into one thing where every kind of mat wrestling can exist in one you know setting and the thing about quack that always made it just feel so try hard and obnoxious was that it just felt like it was intentional and huckabee does it really seamlessly where it all just makes sense and and you don't even think of Huckabee as having the personality that he does. You know, when he's playing with the crowd and, and making a smirk and, you know, do, I, I just don't think of him as being that guy, but it's natural and it comes within a second. And then you've got Priest taking a dive to the floor and grabbing a fucking beer and pounding it. And it's, it's the mm-hmm. same thing. It's like you expect these guys to be what they are, which is amazing technicians when it comes to wrestling, hitting all of the spots as crisp as possible. But then when you get the personality flourishes in there that feel as natural as they ever could be, when it feels just like a real in the moment, every part of it, things that just 
you would not predict from either guy, but just make perfect sense and aren't just like moves. It's the again, the music between the notes. Quentin, I know that you're a music person. You know what I'm talking about when you talk about jazz, right? It's the it's the in between the notes uh, kind of mm. thing. Like that's the stuff that they bring in here that does make this really fucking stand out because it's hard to be like. This is fake. <laughs> There's not a moment in here that you go, this is fake. This is, they're winking and they're nodding and they're giving you, oh, if you watch, like I said, if you watch World of Sport or if you've seen old fucking, you know, Memphis stuff or if, you've, if you're if you a fan of Lucha, you know what's going on here. Like, none of that. None of that is what's going on here. Everything that's going on here just feels authentic. It feels natural. And then it also feels updated. Body slam into the fucking ropes. You don't think of that when you think about everything else I'm talking about in this, right? You get the body slam into the ropes. That feels like nasty CZW, right? Like, that's that doesn't make sense in here, but it's perfect. The 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 off-the-ropes spinning um, European uppercut from uh, Huckabee, like, oh my fucking god, looks as good as any torpedo uppercut that you've ever seen. Like, the, the European uppercut thing, that was, god damn it. Yeah, this is, again, this is in that conversation. I... I might need to watch back. <laughs> I still think that uh, probably Mix or Mox and Biff is going to be my match of the year, but unfortunately, gotta say it, Hoodfoot and uh, and Makabe might have gotten edged out by this. This has got to be probably number two for the year so far. This is, mm. and like you said, Huckabee, what the fuck, man? Like, can nobody book this guy? Is it just he doesn't want to wrestle that much? Like, what is going on? Here? It has to be that. It has to be one of those guys where he's fine doing whatever else he's doing with his spare time. Because I know he doesn't like look great or whatever, but you know who he really, really reminds me of is Doug Williams. Like, Yeah, that's a good comp. That's a good comp. Just a guy who's just like, uh, I can get like why maybe he doesn't appeal to everybody instantly when they look at him, but once you watch him wrestle, Jesus fucking Christ, he's so good. Um, and Priest, I mean, Priest just feels like he is on a rocket ship to the top right now. I mean, I would not be surprised if by the end of the year or by the end of next year, Priest is not, like, wrestler of the year, honestly. With the way that he's going right now, and, you know, this is me talking, so you have to keep in mind that, like, I don't... I'm. I'm not like a great match theorist. I definitely do a lot of my rankings based on individual performances without like necessarily saying that you have to have the best matches. If you're delivering these kind of performances at all times, the way that priest does, I mean, this guy is really moving up the ladder. Like, God damn, he's so good. Um, either way, <laughs> Derek Neal, Billy Tipton, this is in a tough spot. It's not uh, terrible, but I don't remember anything about it. Quentin, what... what? Uh, it's, it's fine. Derek Neal, for as goofy as his name is, I think I still think he's a pretty solid worker, and I like Billy Tipton. This, this was just... After Huckabee versus Priest, you're like, all right, cool, this is in front of me. Like, this was, yeah. this was like... If this was like in the Brandon Williams versus Nick, versus Nick Iggy spot, then it's probably a little bit more... I'm probably a little bit more into it. For sure, for sure. Um, The Skulk... Versus members only. Um, I uh, Mason actually asked me to talk to him to, to let let him know what I thought about members only because they're locals for him. Um, 
And this is where I talked about kind of the comparison to Noah Hosman. Uh, what's his name? Malcolm Cambridge. He reminds me of young uh, Chip Day. Really? Okay. Naturally talented. Insanely gifted. Physically. Throws some insane looking strikes and stuff that looks really crisp. But the body and the vibe, he's got a natural charisma where I'm interested. But he comes across like he... He doesn't take the right things seriously, and he doesn't focus, and I don't know that he's going to end up being, like, a... I, I just don't know that he's going to end up, like, being doing much, even though he should, because of how talented he is, because I just don't know that he's got the, like, yeah, the, the work ethic and, like, the, the, like, the understanding what's important kind of side of things, but all the tools are there. And that's why I say he reminds me of Chip Day. Because Chip Day was the same thing. The guy who just felt like he had everything, but just never really focused on the on the right stuff to get attention. And just never really like kind of put it all together to where he could become like a star. And but would every now and then would deliver some insane stuff. Uh that's a Calvin Lewis, I think, insanely crisp, insanely talented, kind of shrinking, doesn't have the same charisma level. Maybe Maybe there's something there, but it's not coming out personality-wise. But I do think we'll probably end up just, like, chipping away and grinding and actually could do something with his career if he wanted to um, because he's, like, really talented and, and like, insanely athletic as well. Ha like, in the right spots, great footwork, great poise, great positioning, clearly super confident in the ring naturally. Like, yeah, I just think Lewis feels like the guy who kind of weirdly gets it better but doesn't have the natural charisma in the same way both insanely talented um but yeah i i i thought that this was honestly a really kick-ass match the skulk to me this skulk team doesn't really ever do a ton for me i thought that they were really good here shining up like younger under stars seemingly taking them like not seriously enough and then getting kind of swarmed and overpowered in the end quentin what were your thoughts coming out of the match um, I won't be able to give as detailed of a breakdown of members only because I want to wait a little bit more before I say anything about them. I just want to get a better, a better feel for them. But sure, I sure. thought that the Skulk were, I thought that the Skulk atmosphere wise and kind of direction wise, they were a really good fit for Sub. Like, I think that they should, I think that they should be working Sub going forward, honestly. I think that this should be a team that is a perennial act on the, on the Sub show. I think they're a really good fit. I thought, I thought this was super good too. Uh, uh, we're one of the same there of not being super into the skulk for the for the most part, and I've never really been into the skulk. But I thought this was very very fun, and one of those times where I think the heel act here was done really well and worked to perfection by them, and gave the and gave members only a really good moment and made them look great. Yeah, that was a big part of it, as I think the Skulk did a great job, exactly what you were saying, making making this team look like a big deal and giving them a big moment um, coming out of it. Even if, throughout the match, like the way that they made them feel like a big deal was by downplaying them and not taking them serious, which I think is, that's like a uh, an interesting way to play that, you know? that's a, That definitely takes a, a special dynamic. Um, and maybe I need to rethink the Skulk, because I do, 
I do think it's odd that I've never really been insanely behind them, and I know plenty of <laughs> plenty of people who I agree with for the most part who have been high on them in the past. Um, so we'll continue moving forward with them. Um, Jaden Newman versus Rip Bison. Uh, maybe not the place to take the full Jaden Newman like praise victory tour lap here, but I think definitely part of it when you talk about Jaden. Jaden actually overcoming a lot of the negatives that we've had about him in the past. Um, I've always kind of said that I think natural heel mannerisms, but he's coming to into his own as a babyface. Yeah. I think that this version of Jaden and the story with the hangman's clutch thing, I just really hope that the hangman's clutch thing is leading to a Chris Hero match. I don't know. I just, that's what I really want, but... Go ahead. Nothing. I think. I think. I thought he. I thought he was good here. I thought this was a good match. Um, I liked it. Jaden is putting some momentum together. Putting some actual momentum together as a babyface now, and I hope they remain consistent and diligent on that. But I think that Jaden is just a really big Chris Hero guy. If I'm, if I'm being honest, sure. And that's just because remember he remember the forearms and elbows he was doing before. Yeah, yeah. I think, I I think he. I, th- I, th- I think he's just a really big Chris Hero guy, and like. It would be cool. It'd be nice, like bring back the Chris Hero Bully Formula versus Jada Newman and in Basement East. That'd be that'd pretty be cool. That'd, yeah, yeah, that'd be that'd be that'd be awesome. But like, I think he's just a big Chris Hero nerd. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's probably not building to it, but it feels like it should be, and yeah. maybe it'll get there eventually, even if it's not right now. But yeah, but this is really good. Rip Rip was served his role here. I. I've not ever really loved Rip in Limitless, but I thought he was good here. That's It's an odd thing. I'm just like, I kind of think like him coming in as a badass outsider and, and kind of doing that, like he kind of, it kind of works. He's an outlaw. He's traveling in on town, all that kind of stuff. It worked and uh, it didn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily work for me in, in Limitless. Um, if you have any other thoughts, we can get into those on this match. Or <laughs> I, for, I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. I was muted. I didn't have any more. I didn't have any more thoughts on okay. Bison versus Nomen. So if you're ready to go in the the bonus we're or title match, more limitless guys, more more people who are uh, known for coming from limitless. Alec Price versus Dom Guarini. Quentin, I know you were moderate high on this. Um, give your thoughts. I think that goatees exponentially help heels <laughs> like in a way that like well, a study show. almost when they um, look almost be- a study this show. stupid <laughs> when they look almost, this bad yes they help almost, almost a study should be done on it like, like when you go from like jay white to when he first came back to when he grew the goatee like jay white was already great but it's like oh man he has a goatee now it's perfect or if you really wanted to like do a deep cut on it you could talk about eddie guerrero's gradual growth of facial hair in WCW okay. in the nineties, let's like, talk about Steve Austin. Yeah, or you know, we, talk, we talk about like the Steve transition Austin, from goatee. weird mustache chin thing to the full goatee, mm-hmm. and how he becomes like, like the top star in the world. I think there's a, I think there's a study to be done here. Alec Price, for whatever reason, with the goatee, is clicking for me, man. <laughs> it's it's click it's clicking a lot more for me. Um, in all seriousness, though, I think that Dom was just a really, really good pairing 
for Alec Price because he does what you want someone to do to Alec Price. You want someone to ragdoll him and beat the absolute shit out of him. Like, you want someone that you feel like is going like end Alec Price's life. That's what you want. Uh, that's the kind of feeling you want when someone is facing him. And I thought that was great. I thought that was really great here. I love the I love the atmosphere here. It felt big. I think that for as critical as we've been of this kind of Northeast versus Southeast thing that IWTV has been trying, this is a moment where that shit worked. And why I can be disappointing of how flat it's mostly felt because here, right here, this match is a perfect example of how this could work if they had the, if they had the, if they put the best foot forward with it. This was hot. It was heated. It felt important. The near falls you actually bite on, you actually kind of believe in. Like knowing Sup and Sup can be a little erratic with their booking sometimes. Would it have totally shocked me if they just changed plans and Dom won the belt back here? No, it wouldn't shock me at all. Like I, I kind of I kind of have the buy in that 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 Dom could that Dom could have won that match and it wouldn't have shocked me. So as they're going through it and things are getting more and more heated, I'm invested in the outcome and I can see any outcome happening. I thought Alec Price was really good in the moments where he was in control and the shit talking. And I love the comment. I love the commentary here from Mose and Dylan and in disgust as they're, as, as they're watching Alec Price finally put Dom, Dom Garini away. I thought this was super well worked. I think this was like, I think kind of magic, not like it's like one of the best matches I've seen or anything like that, but like this was exactly what you should be doing. Alec Price. And when you try to put him out there with someone that's not necessarily quite an ass kicker, big, mean threat, I feel like you're kind of, you're missing the plot with him. He should be the ultimate shithead, chicken shit heel, who squeaks by at the end of his teeth, his stupid fucking hair, his goatee, his finisher, everything about him is just such bullshit that you want to see him get his ass kicked. And Dom was the perfect guy for that. This is the best Dom singles match I've seen in a while, honestly. I'm not even sure what like my what my next best one would be of recent vintage. But I thought this was excellently well done. I thought this was per- like a perfect way to present Price, the best I've seen of Dom in a while, and renewed any interest I would have had in this whole Northeast versus Southeast thing that IWTV is doing. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect positioning between the two. Um, and Alec Price really coming into his own. Um, I really think <laughs> it's weird because I just feel like this shows the difference between like kind of my natural instincts and the natural instincts of like, other people, other people that we talk to. When it comes to Alex Price, it comes to wrestling as a whole. The first few times I saw Alex Price, I kind of saw something there. I, you know, whatever. I told Dylan a long time ago, like, you guys should be booking this guy. I think that there's something there that would definitely be good in actions, uh, you know, whatever, in the South. Uh, like, there's just, I just, I could just see it. And... Oh, you know, it's it's expensive, and it's tough, and unless they want to drive all the way down from fucking upstate New York to Tennessee, it's not worth it, you know? Um, and then as time has gone on, now he's the fucking champion, and now he's booked all the time, and obviously there's something there that, that I saw, 
But I th- there was a lot of people that we interact with and a lot of people that we're friends with who just never saw anything in Price when they first saw him and just, oh, whatever, fuck this guy and all this stuff. And as you said, like, it's just got to be the right positioning. I think that there's a natural energy there. There's a, a real talent there when it comes to the in-ring part of things. The way that he positions himself, the charisma, and it's all coming together, finally. And I even think that maybe I wouldn't have pushed him as quickly as they did in Southern Power. I probably, I was kind of shocked when they put the title on him. I wouldn't have expected it that fast. I wouldn't have expected for him to, I actually, I did kind of expect him to win the Limitless Championship when he did. But, like, it just felt like, that part, I'm like, it's kind of funny. I'm like, I told him, oh, but you, sh- you guys should be booking this guy. Oh, we don't, we're not going to be able to book him, you know. Um, and then, as soon as they started booking him, they put the title on him. Fuck, what the hell? Okay, whatever. Um, that said, like, yeah, like, Dom in here, Dom, the real, the true first Bonestorm champion, I don't care about the actual first champion, forget that guy, um, does feel like he could win the title at any moment, so yes, it makes sense here, like, he could easily win the championship, um, and as you said, the only person who's really keeping the, the, the North versus the South gimmick alive, and as you were talking about that, I was gonna say, like, Quentin, did you get the... (laughs) After the last podcast we did, did you get the uh, the messages about like the North versus South stuff? But I don't know. Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. Maybe I should uh, keep that keep that private. It's not meant to be out in the open. Um, do you even know what I'm talking about? Nope. So <laughs> okay. So you don't know. Um, yeah. But yeah, Alec Price, the only person who's keeping the North versus South thing alive still. Um, and then Jaden coming out and I'm sorry, but yeah, the build and we're talking about the Jaden. He feels like he's on a roll. This. This does not feel perfect for Jaden to fucking topple this guy. Or also, Broner. <laughs> like, Broner comes out, and now it's like, what the fuck? We're going, gonna go for the tag team titles with Broner and Ace, or uh, Austin. Ah! AC Mack, which I mentioned in the past that it would make sense for them to go after the tag team titles with Vince's Forever if it wasn't for the fact that AC Mack is still the IWTV champion. I don't know. Um, either way, like. You've got a lot of moving parts here, and you've got a lot of people who are feeling really good, and it's just, it's really exciting, and this is, when wrestling's at its best, man, the champion should feel like everyone's coming after the champion, right? And we actually have a situation where it does kind of feel like that. Um, We've got a lot of storylines that make sense, we've got a lot of different options that could happen, like, I'm really excited about all the stuff that's going on here, and I'm really into it. Are a ton of people paying attention to it? I guess not. Is it getting a lot of buys and all this stuff? I don't know. But either way, like, this is some really, really entertaining, awesome stuff to watch. Any other thoughts on Southern Underground Pro? And then my next thought was move on and give, like, a quick overview, quick rundown of Uncharted Territory. What do you think? Uh, Closing thoughts, yeah, I think that this... That match single handed that match and the angle afterwards single handedly renewed whatever interest I had in this in this angle. And I'm not gonna say that I'm expecting this to like be all smooth sailing from here on out, but I think this is what this could have been the whole time. This is what it could have been, and for whatever the reasons are, it just hasn't. And I'm I'm really excited for whenever Jaden versus uh versus Price goes down again i think that could be really really good yeah new the new championship it's like okay is the new championship 
award it to the person, like the actual physical belt, award it to the person who ripped the old title apart, or, or award it to the person who's, like, standing up for the, the history and the moral, like, you know, the respect for the company. Like, that's a cool story, because they gotta get a new belt after uh, Price rips it in half here, right? Like, you know, of course. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, a, it's definitely, that's an interesting thing to see on top of the story itself, on top of everything else. And as I said, Bronner is right there, like, it seems like the story goes to the tag team titles, but he just kicked the shit out of Koo, comes comes out and attacks Dom, and I could see Bronner getting in the title picture next after this ends, so sure. we'll see. Um, Uncharted Territory opens up Tank versus Rip Bison. Um, not a ton to say here, but a good mean guy match. To be, to, be cl- to be clear, I didn't see the whole thing. I see, I've okay. seen... Um, Price versus Billy Tipton. I saw Shug D versus Tangra, and I saw the main event. Okay, well, go back and watch Adam Priest versus Dave Stage. They did a uh, modern age grappling rules match. Um, this absolutely rocked. Like I said, Priest is the fucking man right now. This is he's doing like a a little guy versus big guy match, but in the you know. In the pure rules, like set kind of style of using the using the rules to his advantage, using the setting to his advantage, even though he should clearly get overpowered. This fucking Dave Stage guy, Jesus Christ, he's big as a house, muscle on top of muscle, just a meat castle. Um, but yeah, Price makes him use up his rope breaks, works over his arm like a motherfucker priest. I said Price. Um, just absolutely demolishes him in that regard to where stage can't stop can barely do like one or two moves together without going back to selling his arm um really really great match i would definitely recommend checking it out um then from there there's a ton of other stuff price versus tipton okay tell me about it because again tipton is not just does nothing for me and i don't go out of my way to check out his matches i watch this but i don't necessarily care about it Oh no, you're right. Like, yes, I'm not. I don't even. I'm much to say about it either, other than uh, uh, so we got Price punching, uh, punching Papa Hales during 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 the course of this. Always match. good, yeah. But 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 but, but otherwise, no. Um, I didn't. I I didn't think much of of this uh, either. If I'm, being, if I'm being honest, I just was curious. Just coming off, just coming off of watching Dom versus Price. Oh, let me just let me check this out and. Price was fine in it. Price was solid in it, solid in it even. Still carrying over that momentum. But, yeah, it, it, it didn't do a lot for me. Alright. And then you didn't watch uh, Hossman versus Riser? No, no. Okay, this is great. This is what I was talking about. Talking about the, like Hossman as a guy to check out. Like, Jesus Christ, he looked really fucking phenomenal here. Like, big, big power moves. Ball of intensity, but selling the fatigue in a relatively quick match like really pathos character like this is a great example of like storytelling Hossman match as he goes from you know insane power over the top getting worn down eventually overcomes and uh, gets the win in the end with the doctor bomb um which again like I said the first kind of time that you're seeing um Hossman not only like just you know do his thing but also overcome and and show some smarts and show some some not just 
pure power game, but also have to like really, really prove himself in in the deep deep championship rounds. I think that's what they're trying to do now that Hosman's the discovery gauntlet guy is like really show some depth to what he can do. So yeah, um, Tangra versus Suge D. Quentin, I am not really into Tangra like I was in the beginning. I'm really losing it on him. I'm not seeing it anymore. I feel like, I won't say regressing, but I was really thinking that he was looking great. He was delivering. He was really impressing me. And I just feel like he stalled out. There's not a lot of intrigue there to me. He's not getting better. And I'm being told that I'm wrong, that I'm the only person who sees it this way. So tell me if you think I'm wrong and tell me what you thought about this match with Suge D. I mean, we agree. So I don't, I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> I think that, I don't know. It feels like he's kind of getting a little exposed. Like I'm not saying that if he's bad or shitting the bed in these matches, but he's definitely not feeling like can't miss prospect right now. And like that, like, and that's fine. Not everyone's gonna feel that way, and that's all the pressure to put on somebody when they're new into wrestling. But I don't, I don't think it's unfair to say that Tangra, based off of where he, where we were projecting him like last year, that is unfair to say that. Eh, you're not, like, you're not really getting the same feel for him this year. Maybe it could be, a, it could be a thing with matchups. It could be a thing with him being a tag team for. For for chunk for chunks of the year, whatever you want to chalk it up to, but I don't I don't think that's I don't think it's a wrong thing to say or imply imply at all. Like the Shug D matches, just whatever, and, I'll, and we both like Shug D, and maybe like we both prefer Shug D as a babyface most of the time. But Shug D's still a good heel, and either way, Tangra as a babyface isn't gonna, isn't giving me exactly what I was what I'm looking for. I'm like I like Tangra. I've never been in love with him, so for me, I'm I'm not I'm not shocked to get to this point. But I don't I don't think it's an unfair thing to put out there that eh, you know maybe this guy that we thought was a little bit better than he was is starting to come back to come back down to earth a little bit. Okay, that's fair. I just I just wasn't sure. I'm just like I I think that this guy there was something there, and I think that he still has talent i don't like i said i don't think he's getting worse but i just i'm not seeing like you said can't miss prospect anymore um main event on the evening jonathan gresham versus Jaden newman modern age grappling rules match gresham love the new cut love the new facial hair he looks so fucking old <laughs> he really does but Jesus Christ! I mean, the build, the fit, like the build. The guy is a fucking just a meat castle. The gear, I love the gear. Looks about as classic and just you know wrestling wrestler's wrestler that he's ever looked. The everything that he does looks insanely smooth. This guy, yeah, I mean, Quentin. You were in love with this match. Let's hear your thoughts. Um, I think it's this is pretty much a, like Gresham. We love for as much as we love Gresham. Gresham has a formula that is great, 
and has a floor of really, really, really good matches with people like fucking Josh Briggs. That's what a Gresham formula match can can lead can lead you to. And this was refreshing because this is one of the few times in the in the in the last few years where it doesn't feel like it's entirely Gresham formula based. And Gresham went a little bit out of his usual formula and comfort zone and did something did something different. Seeing the reception Jaden got and or whatever or whatever the plan was coming into the TWE arena and yeah, we get the typical Gresham stuff, the feel-out process, the mat work, technical wrestling, the sequences and chain wrestling and stuff like that that we love Gresham for, the smoothness and transitions, but we get a little bit more of a heel, a shithead, someone taking someone taking advantage of the rules and stuff like that, uh, changing your expectations because you see pure rules, no Jonathan Gresham, and you have an idea of what to expect, and you don't expect him to get frustrated and start uppercutting and punching and forearming Jaden Newman. It's great. It was a great subverting of the expectations that you usually have for a Jonathan Gresham match. And like we've said earlier, Jaden is starting to find his footing as a babyface, And the crowd is sensing that too, when the crowd is getting into him. And that's also part to Gresham's performance and how great he is as a heel when he has, when he has the chance to do so. But Jaden is finding his his uh his position as a baby face and the shoulder work and shoulder selling was really good, especially especially down the stretch. I love the rounds formula. We're both big world of sport people. So I love seeing I love seeing the rounds and the way they approach the rounds, especially with Gresham doing the stalling and every and everything there. Uh I thought this was super well worked. Blew away my expectations. I see Newman versus Gresham, and I'm like, okay, this will be solid. This will be good. But I wasn't expecting anything nearly of what we got. I like this just as much as Huckabee versus uh, as Huckabee versus Priest. If I'm being honest, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you feel the same way. But I thought this was super well done, and I loved watching it. Yeah, this was amazing. This is taking something like like a Jaden match that goes nearly a half hour, which we've seen in the past, and it's just been. A mess, just a, a, again, just a slog, not a slog, but just a, like a soupy mess of a bunch of things happening, and the rounds, this is why me and you both are proponents of rounds, matches, when it comes to, like you said, the world of sport and all this stuff, is it, it you can, the structure of a rounds match, and you can do like a, a you know, a Trace, or Trace, uh, Kaeda match, right? A three falls match, and you can do the same thing with it, where you use the periods and the rounds to make these kind of longer matches make more sense and be a lot more smooth. Um, and that's it right here. Like the first, where the first, the where the first round ends is some of the most beautiful. Like I cannot imagine. Again, Gresham is obviously an insane pro. But it feels so natural and just so smooth that when they get to the end of the first round, you're like, how did the round end at the perfect spot? How did they do that? At the end of the first round, it's like the most amazing place in the story in what they're teasing for the round to end. They're like doing this like trading off, giving up the wrist controls back and forth. And then where the round end, it's like at the perfect moment for where the story is going. And again... Jaden doing a 30-minute match in a lot of other settings has not felt this good. Like, and to watch this and to have three rounds or six rounds, whatever it is, that goes on here 
and uh, and have it go this smoothly and slip by with the amount of stuff that happens in here. Compare it to the um, the priest and stage match, which again you didn't watch, but they did all of it in one round, and it felt like more happened. There was like so much chaotic and just everything going on in one round compared to this, where you've got six rounds and nearly thirty minutes, and it feels like the same amount of like action, and it it, it just it, that's how you do it. <laughs> that is really how you do it. The magic of wrestling is like making this time go by, being so smooth. Gresham, you know what Grisham does that I love is the little the little pats, the little checks, the little taps here and there with the hands and and really feeling things out. It's just it has this like weird again old school feeling and it's just checking everything out. I mean, Jesus Christ, this is Grisham is amazing. Um but Jaden is very game here. He's in this from the beginning to the end. There's no point where Jaden feels truly like he doesn't make sense in here. Um, he's selling it, you know. He's making, he's telling the story with the way he's selling. He's getting the shit kicked out of him. He's really getting run ragged through the match. It's going long. It's going into the deep rounds, but it never feels like rushed. It never feels nothing feels crazy out of place. Everything feels smooth. He gets his ups. He gets his downs. Grisham, like Grisham you know, has, loses control, gains control, Grisham never feels, like, completely out of it, it's amazing storytelling, and it's why the structure of wrestling exists, it's why you want to do this kind of thing, you can really tell some amazing stories here, this is why me and you, like, we talk about, we love this stuff, because I get why people don't like it, because there's a lot of bad versions of this, there's a lot of like places where you don't do it right but god damn when you do this shit right man there's nothing there's really nothing better than like the round style match really giving you just such a cohesive story you're able to make a lot out of everything you're able to tease so much and you're able to repeatedly build and build and build and then boom bring it down and, and calm everything out and smooth things down and then come back and Boom, build it back up and build it back up and just build that drama and oh, Jesus Christ. Like imagine like I said, imagine a Jaden a thirty minute Jaden match, like just going, right? Like, no, it's not it's not it's not gonna have the same level, like, as going this long, but having the rounds, having the setup, having the transitions. There's there's a lot here to love. I'm with you, like in the conversation, just as good as the Huckabee Priest match, Jaden really is proving to to deserve kind of the placement and the where he's being positioned. Like he's been game over and over again at this point, and really, really, like kind of coming into his own. And I hope that we continue to get more and more of this kind of performances from Jaden Gresham. I hope I'm gonna really enjoy seeing Gresham versus Zach on Forbidden Door. Can't wait. But, uh, Quentin, yeah, final thoughts. And I guess we can close this out. Yeah, I think I think, I think we're pretty much good to go there. Uh, thank you all for listening. Hope you're next time. You can follow me on, on Twitter at QT underscore Moody. You can follow Tim on Twitter at Bone Dog's Wife. You can follow the podcast network at WDKWPN. And if you're feeling as generous to do so, you could donate to our coffee fund and 
You could get Tim to all the prestige wrestling shows in Oregon so we yes. could have live coverage there. And I could give really unenthusiastic reviews about them. But that is it for us this week. Glad you listened. I'll be next I'm time. only Wayne Meffin. I'm only messing. Trespassing. Crystal Meffin. I'll break your fucking face and I'll nick your resin. Then I'll kick your head in. Your head in. Then I'll um, kick your head in. Your head in. Then I'll start grabbing. At passers-by, cars and buses, you are all a bunch of fucking pussies. This is a devil rap. Smoke it, toke it, deal it, break it, smoke it, toke it, deal it, deal it, smoke it, smoke it, smoke it. Swapped got want need, swapped got want need. Had. Best Belize, I'm a wannabes, I'm a motherfucking prodigy. I'm a motherfucking prodigy. prodigy. Africa, Jamaica, Indian and Brighton. Fuck you, I'm always fighting. Dropping an E. And I'm nicking your purse. And I'm nicking your purse. Me mate Lee, boss your seas like you won't believe. Belize. Jailbait, please. It's not a bell end. It's not a bell end. Let's have a squitzy on your jeb end. That's a ciggy. Ciggy. Or a rolly. Lately, lately. I'm not fucking bothered. 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 Dickhead. Maximum in the area. Fucking bed wetter. I want your sweater, sell it on Forsby Markets for a tenner Probably won't get that much It's fucking fruit at loom, innit? No one buys fruit at loom anymore Easy E, I'm not a geezer I'm a microphone teaser Teaser, teaser. Crowd, pleaser. pleaser Sweating pleaser. like a beaver Get your rat out, get your rat out Sweating like a beaver, beaver. Get your rat out, get your rat out Oh yeah!